not because of us, but certainly it is through us, all of us working together and loving together. Last week on Easter Sunday morning, I began a series uh, entitled, When in Doubt, and uh, just kind of touching on this idea that there are, there, you know, there are a lot of people in the earth right now that doubt Christianity, but there are a lot of Christians who just doubt. People who have faith in God, people who believe in the Lord, people who have given their heart to Jesus, we all, as Christians, from time to time in our life, have our doubts. We grapple with doubts from time to time. And uh, over the years, when people have expressed some of their doubts to me, I don't really get too nervous or bent out of shape, because I've come to recognize that doubt is a part of the process sometimes, that God is developing our faith. Something, you know, sometimes when I'm, you know, as we said last week, you know, doubts, when you have doubts, that means you believe something. But your beliefs are being challenged. And now you're questioning things. And it's kind of like that with your kids. You know, I raise my kids to know and love the Lord, but I've watched my kids grapple with their upbringing. And that's Alarming on some aspects, but on another side of that, it's kind of like, it's kind of, they need to find the Lord themselves. Not just tagging on to my, you know, um, what's that, your coattails, yeah, my tails. And uh, don't get too alarmed. It's part of the process. Um, I'm not saying that we should accept it or, you know, sweep it under the rug or not care. Certainly, it gives us something to pray about, right? And something to stand on their behalf for, but it's part of the process. It's a growing, learning part. And we all go through it. And uh, so doubt can actually serve as a catalyst to the development of our faith rather than the deconstructing of our faith. And that's really important to understand. Last week we talked about when we doubt God's truth or when we doubt the truth. There are things that are true and the truth is the truth is the truth, but sometimes I doubt it. And uh, so I, I have to grapple with that. Today I want to talk about this idea of when we doubt God's calling on our life or God's purpose for our life. And I want to go from the age-old story, very familiar to many of us, and it's the story of Moses when God called Moses, a man who is by this time is 80 years old. And uh, I want to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, and I want to read, uh, I'm just going to kind of read some verses to kind of get us going here in this story. But it says in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, or that is, if you will, a pre-incarnate form of Christ came to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So Moses looked And behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. The Lord has been talking to us about, you know, open up your eyes to see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord, verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. Would you say that? God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then we skip down to verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites and the... No. (laughs) 
Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10. This is key. Come now. Everybody say, come now. Come now, he says. Therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you, you, turn to somebody and say, that's you. Go ahead and tell them that. That you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that's the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way in these next few moments, we pray. God, call us. Call out. Help us to hear your calling. That's a better prayer. Help us to hear it, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. So the Apostle Paul says in one of his books, he said that all things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, all of them were created through God and for God. Everything. Everything you can see and everything you can't see, everyone you can see and everyone you can't see was created through God for God. Why, someone might say, why am I on planet earth? Because God. That's why you're on planet Earth. Why am I living in Butte, Montana? Because God. You're like, no. I reject that. No. You're wrong. Amen. God did not create us, however, to be robots. I know we're living in a bot generation. We're moving toward AI. I know, but God did not create us to be robots, but rather to live in relationship with Him. And He gave us a a mind and a a will, and He gave us a, a mind to think and a will to choose and and, uh, but because of our fallen nature, we think and we choose and we relate very selfishly and sinfully now. And by nature, we don't tend to go after God, but rather we hide from Him like Adam and Eve. But remember when they hid and went off and hid themselves away from God, remember what the Bible tells us, God came down and He called to them. And so this is a picture that we by nature are born sinful and selfish and we don't go after God, but never mind, God's coming after you. Because He wants you to know Him and to be redeemed by His love to be restored to His purpose, to enjoy relationship with Him so that He can impart Himself into your life so that you can be an extension of His life, His love, His power in the earth. There's a reason for your existence here. And God is still calling us and inviting us to be with Him to be close to Him so that we may ultimately go for Him and do His will. I want to remind you that you are you, every one of you in this room, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance that you would walk in them, even when you didn't know Him, even when your life was screwed up and messed up. Even when you made some really messed up choices in your life, God had a plan for you. God had a calling on your life. God has a purpose for every one of you in this room. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? So whatever your vocation in life, whatever your occupation, whatever are your interests, listen, 
It's all through God. And it's for God. Amen. And so God had a plan for 80-year-old Moses, who was tending his father-in-law's sheep. It wasn't even his own sheep. It wasn't even his. It was somebody else's. And he's 80 years old, and he's out on the backside of a cold place called Horeb, which is short for horrible. <laughs> where are you from? Horeb. Oh, that's where I'm from. So he's out there tending his father-in-law's sheep. And by the time, though, that God manifests himself in this burning bush which would not consume, Moses, by this time, must have thought his better days were behind him. Like, I've lived my life. I'm in the autumn of my years. I used to dream about being a deliverer for my people. But I really messed up. I, did some, I made some wrong choices in my life. And now I'm out here and I'm just kind of wandering around. And all I can do is talk sheep now. I smell like sheep. I talk sheep. And this is, this is my life. But, but God shows up. As God will always do, he'll show up. He's good at that. And he shows up in our desertness, and he shows up in our backsideness, and he shows up in those places where we feel like we're done. We, there is no future. This is my future. This is my life. And so God shows up, and he probably thought, you know, I'm, I'm, my life is a mess. And even his family, you know, consider it. He really came, as it were, if you will, Someone, a child, an infant, thrown in a little boat, pushed down the river. He was a Hebrew, but he was raised in Pharaoh's court. It was kind of a foster care kind of existence. He was part of this people, part of that people. Kind of knew who he was, who he was, but this is, and he, you know, this this confusion. Ultimately, to the point where his own people rejected him, and these people were out to get him. You see the destituteness of his life? The, who, who do I plug into? Who am I? Where am I really from? What's going on in my life? This is Moses. This is how God shows up to him. And he probably thought, I'm beyond use. I'm beyond anything that God could really work through. But according to Romans chapter 11, verse 29, God never changes his mind concerning his call on your life. You may have taken some twists and turns in your life that were big mistakes, but God doesn't change his mind about what he's called you to. The gifts and the callings of God, the Bible says, are irrevocable. I got one good amen out there. That's in the Bible. I'm not, that isn't made up by a person. That's what God says. So no matter our past mistakes and really our present circumstances, God's purposes for our lives still stand. Have you ever heard or ever used the phrase, I highly doubt it? I don't just doubt it. I highly doubt this. Come on, anybody in the room ever said something like that? When we consider what God is calling us to, immediately when, we, when, we, when God calls us into ministry or God calls us to this vocation or this, this opportunity that's out in front of us, we're like, I highly doubt that. Like, I can't see how God could do this in my life through me at this time, at this place. I just can't see it. But like Moses, and this is what, where we come to, Moses, we sometimes doubt that God would ever want us or that he could ever work through someone like us. But I'm here to tell you today, he does and he can. <laughs> but we just got to say yes. Amen. So in today's message, I want to talk about this idea of surrendering to God's call on your life. God has a calling. 
God has a purpose. God has a destiny. And it's time for us to surrender. But in order to get to that, I want to talk about this idea of how doubt manifests. Now, the first point I want to talk about is I want to talk about doubt's excuses. Because doubt, when a person is filled with doubt, this is my first point, Sherry, doubt's excuses. Uh, when, when we have, when we have uh, doubts, we, you know, have you ever heard of somebody that's always got an excuse of why they don't do something? Yes, and I'm probably talking about you. No. Well, we tend to like, oh, stop making excuses. You're just lazy. You know, we're looking at that as lazy. I, I, I propose that it really comes out of a place probably of more doubt. And, and, I, what would I, and, and the doubt I'm talking about today has very little to do with self-doubt. I know in our pop psychology kind of world that we live in, we kind of think, you know, we talk about self-doubt, self-doubt. Really, self-doubt is God-doubt. It really is. And, um, but we'll get to that in a moment. But when, when God appeared to Moses, I love the story. God shows up to 80-year-old Moses and in this burning bush. And he said, now this is what the Lord said to him. He said, I have come down. I have come down. Now listen to the voice. I have come down to rescue my people Israel. God said that. And then he said, Tag, you're it. Now, everybody likes the first part. God has come down to rescue us. Great, good job. We're right behind you, Lord. You do it. But God's like, the way I'm going to do it is through you. The way I'm going to set my people free is I'm going to put my hand on your life, on you. You're talking to me. You're talking to me? 80-year-old me? Dysfunctional old me? You're talking about this person? God's like, that's who I'm talking about. I'm not looking around you. I'm not looking over there at somebody else beside you. I'm looking at you. And Moses just started throwing up his excuses because he was so full of doubt that God could work through him. And I want to I talk about this because maybe one or some of these are things that you and I say and why we are not giving ourselves over, surrendering to the call of God and the mission of God upon our life, doubt sounds like. The first to kind of talk about uh, some of the doubts. Here's what doubt sounds like. The first thing that Moses talks about is he basically says, is number one, he says, I'm unqualified for the job. I'm inadequate for it. Look at verse 11. He says in chapter 3, verse 11, Moses, when God said, I'm choosing you, I want you to go. Moses said, who am I? Everybody say, who am I? <laughs> who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, I am nobody. Do you see what I am? I'm 80. I'm a shepherd of my father-in-law's sheep. I mean, this is the best I can do. I'm not very, I'm not qualified to, to go and to do this thing that you're asking me to do. I don't have what it takes to do that. And he's looking at himself. Who am I? Who am I that God would choose me? Moses felt inadequate. He felt incompetent for the job. And this happens to a lot of us all the time. The moment we have a thought, oh, and that thought may come from God about this idea, and then we, th we say, well, come on, back it off there. You can't do that. You're not qualified to do that. Well, I want to say something. I know it's old cliche, but I want to say it anyway. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's how it works with God. He doesn't start with perfect people. In fact, he majors on imperfection, imperfect people. He loves to take people that don't have the qualities, 
so that he could show people his glory in them and through them. Amen. Some of us suffer from what we call the imposter syndrome. This is me. You know what the imposter syndrome is? It's when you, re, when you secretly, in secret, in your own mind, you think, I'm unqualified, and that you feel like you're faking it, and it's just a matter of time before people actually figure out that you're not the real deal. That's how I go home every Sunday. Like, if they only knew. If they only knew. Amen. We say to God, when he said, who am I? Really, we're saying, why me? Amen. But God's saying, why not you? You're not that big of a problem for me. You got problems, but you're not that big of one for me. Amen. So, doubt sounds like, I'm unqualified to do this. Here's another thing doubt sounds like. I don't know what I'm doing. Would you say that with me? I don't know what I'm doing. Look at verse 13. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, what is his name? And they say to me, what is his name? What am I supposed to say? I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't really know who you really are. I don't know how to do this. Moses was, uh, you know, initially Moses was raised in Pharaoh's courts and he had all these privileges in his life and he had all this education of the culture of his time. But it's been 40 years. It's been a really, where were you 40 years ago? Some of you young people. Let let us old people just, you know, be discouraged for a moment. (laughs) Think about where you were 40 years ago. The bell bottoms that you were wearing. Anyway. Forty years have passed, and as we said, he's been living with sheep, and he's been living in a desert place. The times have changed. The people have changed. I don't know how to speak to these people. I don't know what to say to these individuals. Things have changed. Things are, here's here's us, things are harder now. Things are just really, I mean, it used to be okay, and you know, but we forget about all of the complaining we did in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s about how hard it was. But now we look at the times that we're living in, it's like, oh, it's way harder now. Come on. It's... We're, we're still the same. We still make up excuses as if we don't, we can't, we don't know what we're doing. And here's the point. God didn't argue with him. He didn't say, oh, Moses, come on, you really know what to do. No, he didn't argue with him because it wasn't about what Moses could do. It was about what he could do. We'll get to that in a minute. Those are the answers that God gives, but. People think concerning me that I'm being hyperbolic when I tell them I don't know what I'm doing. Me, Tim Mosslander, about pastoring or whatever I do. You, I'll say, I don't, I have no idea. I, in fact, I'll say things like, I know less today than I did 25 years ago. And 26 years ago, I came here 26 years ago and two days ago. April the 15th, we rode into town on tax day, and I've been taxed ever since. No, no. We rode into town on April the 15th. And uh, is today the 17th? It was yesterday? Hallelujah. So anyway, where am I? Uh, Oh, I was just saying that I don't... 
I know less today than I did 26 years ago. That's just the truth. Every sermon I prepare, every decision I make as a leader, I feel like I'm stepping into a room, into the dark, and I'm just hoping something lands. Amen. And you may feel that way too. Whatever God calls you to, you're going to feel that way. Because it's way over your head. When people say, you're in over your head, say, you're right. I am in over my head. Don't fuss with people. Be, it, be real about it. I'm in way over my head on this one. I'm not here to pump you up. Oh, you're better than you think you are. No. It's not about you. It's about him. He's better than you think he is. Amen. Amen. So I, is this going anywhere? I feel like I'm meandering here. Number Here's, a, here's another excuse he gave. He's like, number three, I doubt the people will listen to me. God, you want me to go? He's like, these people aren't going to pay attention to me. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Moses answered and said to the Lord, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Who do you think you are to be doing this ministry, coming to me as if, I need you. Who, who, who are you to, to, to take that position and to do that call? I don't think the people are going to listen to me, Moses said. God had told Moses in chapter 3, verse 18, he said, they will listen to you. And then in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, sometimes they won't listen to you. <laughs> he nailed it. <laughs> sometimes... They will hang on everything you do. And then other times, they will reject you. But you cannot do this based upon what people think about you. You can't do what I'm calling you to do and care if you are accepted 100%. You just got to be who I've called you to be. You got to say what I've told you to say. You need to lead how I want you to lead and serve how I want you to serve. And when you do it my way, there's your success. Your success isn't in people. Amen. See, doubt throws up all these excuses. And one of those excuses is that it's the people, God. I could do it if it wasn't for the people. Now, I think this really came out of a, a deep place in Moses' heart because I think he was remembering his past. When I wanted to be a deliverer, I thought, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it one murder at a time. No, <laughs> he thought, I'm going to do it one, per, one thing at a time. That's how, you know, I'm just going to take over. And he screwed up. And his own people said, who do you think you are? And then the Pharaoh government said, what do you think you're doing? And now he's gone because of people. Because of people. So when it comes right down to it, you can't obey God and try to please people. Doing God's will can be a scary place because of people. Not you people, but other people. God, I love, and I've shared it before, God told Jeremiah, when you speak for me, do not be afraid of their faces. Don't look at, what, don't look at how they're looking at you. You just say what I say, do what I do. That's all that matters. Amen. Because people can be fickle. And judgmental. And they'll like you one day, but they won't like what you did the next day. And you can't worry about that. And if you made a mistake, and if you, you know, you, and you, you know, then you got to rectify your problem, but that doesn't disqualify you from still doing what God has called you to do. Just kind of, you know what? I, I messed up there, but I'm still 
listening to God. I'm still going after God. Amen. So <clears throat> that that's, was the third excuse that Moses... Here, Mo, we're not done giving excuses. Moses had a couple more. Number four, basically he said, I, I lack the ability to do this. This was another excuse that he gave. I, this is more than I don't know what to do. This is, God, you know I can't do this. I don't have the ability to do this. I can't do this. That's what he was saying. And he goes, and this is how he said it in chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have started speaking to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. After spending years in the desert talking with sheep, and he was away from interacting with people, Moses was worried that he was not able to communicate in the language of the times. He wasn't able to talk their language. He didn't feel like he would be able to keep up. That he could, God, that, because God had said, I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to give you my word. And he's like, That's, that, you know, that sounds really good, but I can't talk. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to say. I'm so out of step. I'm so out of touch with what's going on right now. I just, I don't feel like I have anything I can bring to this people and to this generation. To his mind, he does not have what it takes to do what needs to be done. This is the most natural inclination in us as people. We tend to focus on our weaknesses and our inabilities. The very first thing when we feel called of God to do something, the very first thing is, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But if God called you to do it, then he's not worried about it. He's not focused on it. You are, I am, but he's not. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? But just remember that God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. You're calling me a fool? I'm just reading out of the Bible. To men's eyes, you don't have the ability. You don't have the gift. You, don't, you shouldn't be doing that. To people, that looks foolish. But God's chosen what looks foolish. To confound what is called the wisdom of the age that we live in. And so he takes simple people like you and I. Maybe well-educated. Maybe really high... Um, I wish I had a brain that would function correctly. Uh, high IQ? No, that's not what I meant. What is it when you go to school and your grades are really good? and GPS? No, that's... That's location. What is it? GPA, grade point average. That's it. But GPS is good too. I like that. Because some of us lack the ability for direction. Julie. No, I'm teasing. Anyway, I don't know where I was. Jesus, Jesus chooses the foolish to confound the wise. In our weakness, his strength is perfected. Can you wrap your brain around that? Because I have a hard time sometimes doing that. When I am weak, that's when I'm strong, Paul said. When I'm weak. I, I can't do it. I mean, I, I can practice and I can apply myself. You know, it's like, for instance, like Katie. Katie's our worship leader. She practices. She goes over. She leads. She, she knows her stuff. She's been, she's been trained in it. She's developed it. She's learned it. But when it comes right down to it, she can have the, that ability. But if God's not in it, it's nothing, right? So... She brings 
her weakness to the Lord. And anointing rests on it. Does that make sense? And so, we, in and of ourselves, we don't have the ability. But God is able. God is able. Amen. One more excuse that he gives. It's not really an excuse. He just basically comes right down and says, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> it's not really an excuse. He's like, after he said everything, he's like, oh, I, I can't. He says in chapter 4, verse 13, Oh, he, I love this. Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, just send someone else. I can't. I don't want to. That's doubt. That's doubt run wild. That's doubt saying, there's just no way. There's no way. I remember being called to ministry, raised. My dad was a preacher. My dad was a pastor, which was one of the reasons why I didn't want to do this. I was raised up in it. I saw it. I felt it. I could never, when I used to speak publicly, my dad, this is what my dad would do to me sometimes. He would be, it would be Sunday night because back in those days we had Sunday night church and he would say, Tim, stand up and testify. I'm like, oh, dear God. <laughs> so I stand up. I and I could barely get three or four words out, and I start bawling because I'm so timid. I'm so, like, and I'm scared to death, and, uh, and that was me. And so when God began to call me into ministry, and I could sense it, and I knew it. I, there was, I mean, I was running, and I was waiting, and I, you know, I, I would say I'm waiting on God, which really meant I'm stalling. It's... There is genuine waiting, but then they're stalling. Some of you are stalling. You're stalling. That's a whole different message in and of itself. But, man, I was dragging my feet, and I, couldn't, I could not imagine going after it. And I, what I was doing was like, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to do this. That's what it was coming down to. I said all the other excuses, but each excuse builds on another till you reach the pinnacle. I don't want to. And that comes from doubt. I feel like it does. And so you find out what's in the heart, and the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. He didn't want to yield, he didn't want to surrender. He didn't want to do it. It's so interesting. Moses saw the Lord. He saw the bush that was burning that was not consumed. He had a revelation of God, right? Isaiah also saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when God was talking among himself and he said, who shall, who shall we send? Isaiah saw the Lord. He's like, send me. I'll go. Moses saw the Lord. He's like, send someone else. <laughs> some, of, some of us, sometimes we say, Sometimes we're in it. We're like, Lord, send me. I'll do it. And then when we see what God's calling us to, we're like, no, send someone else, Lord. I don't want to do that. Send someone else to the nursery. Shall we dig a little bit? <laughs> send someone else to Awana. Send someone else to lead a home group. Let somebody else do the prayer ministry. Let somebody else be a part of the freedom and deliverance ministry. Send somebody else, not me. Send somebody else to get involved in that program in the city that's helping people. Not me. And where that comes from is not just pure and simple laziness or just it is stiff it is a it is a refusal it's a disobedience it's a stiff neckness but it comes from the deep place of doubt and god wants to set you free amen so 
those are some of the doubts. Those are doubts excuses. But I want to conclude our time here together and I want to talk about God's answers to your doubts. Because God did have some answers. When, when Moses expressed his doubts, I love how God does not focus on Moses' ability or his know-how or his speech. You know, God never argued with him. You're right. You know, no, God didn't, God didn't say to Moses, Moses, that's not true. You're better than that. That's how we do to our kids. Oh, don't, don't, be, don't think that way. You're better than that. God didn't do that with Moses. He's like, I agree. But this is not about you. This is about me. This is about me. I'm not here to puff you up. I'm here to pick you up, to build you up, and to bring you to a place in me where you know. He said, remember what God said. I have come down to set my people free. And the way I'm going to do it is through you. So it's not about you. It's about me doing it through you. Amen. And so every time Moses gave an excuse, God had an answer every time. And just as our doubts sound a lot like Moses, so God's answers to Moses are really important for us. And basically there are three promises that God gave to Moses. And I'm just going to kind of wrap it up this way. The first promise God gave to Moses in all of his doubts, he said, number one, you need to know my presence will go with you. You are not going alone. You are not by yourself. When you go to do that job that you've been, it's not just, a, it's not just an occupation, it's a calling. When you drive up into that place and you have to go in there and work with those people and you have to put up with that stuff, just know that I'm with you. I've raised you up for this time, for this hour, for this event, for this situation. And don't you ever doubt that I'm with you. Moses said, Moses, if you remember, he said, Lord, I feel inadequate. Or he said, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's what God's response to him was. I will be with you. Me. God's with you. When he said, Lord, I don't know what to say to these people. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Just tell them, I am who I am has sent you. I love that name of God, the I am. It wasn't I was. It wasn't I will be. It is I am right now what you need when you need it. I'm with you. Hallelujah. God will be present to be whatever Moses needed in the moment or the situation that he needed it. Jesus said, I am to you the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the vine. I'm everything you need to get the job done. I won't leave you hanging. I'll be everything you need in the moment that you need it. I am with you. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? God's presence goes with you. God sent us on a great big mission. He said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all men. Man, that's a really big task. I don't know if I can do it. You can do it. How? Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. How can you do it? Because I'm there. You're not doing this by yourself. So we're going into a, we're, we're seeing things shift in all of the world around us. And the very first thing we want to do is hide away and hibernate. Hold up to ourselves. Figure out a way to keep all the darkness out. Jesus said, no, I got to get the light into the darkness. Oh, God, that's so big. That's so hard. That's so difficult. I'm with you. Amen. Are we okay out there? God's answer is, to all your excuses is, I am present 
with you. Number two, he said, my power will work through you. When Moses said to the when Moses said that the people wouldn't listen to him or that he lacked the ability, you remember what God said to him? He said, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And of course, what was in his hand was the shepherd's rod. And you know, a shepherd's rod is nothing but a dead stick. No fruit, no life, just a stick that is dead. And now it's a tool in his hand to just shepherd sheep. There's not much to it. But God was showing Moses through the rod that it was a picture that I can take anything in your life, and it doesn't look like much on the face of it, but I can empower it in your hand. And you'll do things with what seems like really basically nothing, and I will do wonders through it in your hand. Your hand. You're going to be doing it. You're going to be serving. You're going to be going. You're going to be showing. You're going to be loving. You're going to be laying down your life. You're going to, you're going to take like that, that rod. He said, lay it down, and it turned into a snake. And then he said, pick it up, and it turned back into a rod, which is showing him, I'm going to give you a power and authority with what's in your hand. And there's nothing that can be hindered because you're doing what I'm telling you to do. Nothing can be stopped. Amen. I love that. I love Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. I've been dwelling on this for a few weeks, a couple, about a week I actually. I love it. Isaiah says, here, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. You are for signs and wonders. That's what God did through Moses. He said, you're going to, you're, you're going to do signs and wonders. People are going to encounter the, the living God as you just give what you have, what you possess to me. Whatever your occupation, throw it down. And here's what you'll discover when you throw it down. It'll turn into a snake. Which is basically saying to us, as long as it's yours, It'll come back to bite you. But if you'll surrender it to me, you'll take authority over it. And it won't be your God. I'll be your God. I love how, you know, when you, when you go to get a snake, you don't really grab it by the tail. That's mistake number one. You snatch it by the back of the head. Right? But God told him, pick it up by the tail. And basically what the Lord, I think, was showing him is, is that you make this thing in your life, the tail, you make me the head, and things will get done. But you know, even in ministry, some of us pastors sometimes make it all about the ministry rather than about God. And that's where we get screwed up, and that's where we mess up, and that's where things start falling apart. Amen. And so, anyway, I'm dwelling too long. I, I need to conclude this. So, God says, my power will be with you. And then, finally, and this is it, if you'd come, Katie, my plans will not fail you. Would you say that with me? My plans will not fail you. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. God said, this is God speaking to Moses, he says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. I love that. He's not going to give in until a mighty hand rises up. He says, okay, I'll raise my mighty hand. But Here's the point. Moses, if you will go in my presence and you will depend on my power, then my plans will be fulfilled. If you will 
Trust me. If you will go, Moses, this is what's going to happen. And I'm just here to tell you today, God has a calling on your life. And you may be well into it. Maybe you're, maybe you're running from it. Maybe you don't know what it is. But I'm just saying you probably have a rod in your hand right now. You have a rod in your hand, and to you it's nothing more than a stick. But God is saying, if you will give it to me, I can empower it. And you can step into what I've destined for you. But you got to lay it down. you got to come to me, because I, I have a plan for your life. The Lord says, I have plans and a hope and a future for you. I'm doing a new thing. Don't you, don't you see it right here, right now? And I love what God's, God's plans do not fail. Joshua chapter 21 verse 45 says that not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. That's God's promise to you and me today. When he says, I've got a plan, I'm going to do this, it won't fail. That's what he means. But... We need to go in his presence, and we need to depend upon his power. Would you stand with me right now? Could I have the prayer team come up front? And to prepare to pray for anyone who needs prayer today, as we, we're going to dismiss in a moment. But I want to encourage you not to rush out today if you need prayer, because if God is calling you, if God is working in your life, if God is stirring your heart, God has given you an idea. God has given you a, or maybe you're, in a, maybe you're in an occupation right now, you know God's called you to it, but it's been a difficult place. Don't leave here today without receiving prayer because we believe God has a plan and he wants to bring it to fruition in your life. So if you would like prayer, you can begin to come even now or prayer for any other thing, physical healing or whatever. But I'm going to pray. You can go, but if you want prayer, you can come this way. Father, thank you for your presence here today. We love how you love us. We thank you for your word. It's a powerful word. It's, a, it's an important word. And I pray, God, that we would cease from our doubting and our excusing. And God, step up to believing and trusting and obeying. We surrender our lives to you, God. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Amen. Come for prayer if you need it. Otherwise, God bless you.